Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hey guys, welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast. And joining me today is Bruce Pullman, a British boomer, the first quant trader in London, who rejoins me on the show to talk us through the rest of his rabbit hole journey since the last time we spoke. If you've not listened to the first episode, I strongly suggest that you go back and listen to that one first because it will set this up very, very nicely indeed. Now, before we get into the interview, I would love for you guys to check out the show sponsors. You know who they are by now. It's coinfloor.co.uk forward slash bits and you can go start stacking sats. Download their new app. Obi and the team are doing a great job over there. If you're in Europe, you want to exchange euros in Swiss, you can use Relay, R-E-L-A-I dot C-H forward slash Bitten. Across the pond, how you doing over there? Thank you so much for listening. Swan Bitcoin, they have you covered. Swanbitcoin.com forward slash Bitten. Go start stacking. You'll get a free 10 bucks with that to start your stack. But then please, guys, I know I keep going on about this. You need a hardware wallet. You should be taking control of these coins. Otherwise, it really is just pointless. Don't leave them on the exchanges. Don't leave them on the apps. Please take control. Get a hardware wallet. You shift crypto.ch forward slash bitten. That will get you a 5% discount on the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin only edition wallet. Stack safe. Make sure you are taking control. This is the whole point of Bitcoin. This is the whole ethos. Anyway, thank you, everybody, as always, for listening. Love the banter on Twitter. Really appreciate all of the DMs and the replies and the likes and the retweets. Whatever it is that you're doing to uh, support the show, I really appreciate it. Keep it coming. Thank you so much for listening. Enjoy the episode with Bruce. All right, excellent. Well, Bruce, welcome back to the show. Great to see you again. Thank you. So what has been going on since the last time we spoke, Bruce? Because you, I don't know how you do it, but you get yourself into some pretty crazily interesting situations. And you've given me a few little insights uh, via text message, because of course we've stayed in touch. Uh, I would love to kind of find out what's been going on since the last time we spoke and kind of what's been changing in your mind with like your uh, perception to Bitcoin and uh, your investment thesis around that. So why don't we start with that? Why don't we start with like kind of like how the Bitcoin kind of mind virus has, uh, has been, you know, uh, kind of inseminating through you? Yeah, I mean, I... I'm not going to pretend I have enjoyed the last two or three months. Um, I, I think people would have to be fairly masochistic to rejoice in seeing their wealth sliced by about a million quid. Um, of course, it's all paper wealth, but nonetheless, if you're the sort of person who values their portfolios five or six times a day, you kind of see what's going on. Um, and yeah, I've had a, a fairly big hit in gold um and obviously a big paper hit in bitcoin um that has come back so 
the price action, I can't, I'm not somebody who, I don't know, I, I suspect there are a lot of people on Twitter who are very brave in what they tweet, but if in, inside panicking slightly. Uh, I'm definitely one of those. Um, but it's not a rational panic. It's a two o'clock in the morning, what the hell am I doing? Irrational panic. Um, I, nothing has caused me to change my investment philosophy, my reason for holding Bitcoin. What has changed is the way I've thought about holding Bitcoin. What has changed is my view of Ethereum. Um, and what has changed is my view a bit of how I think of my portfolio. That's sort of quite interesting. Um, so the first thing that's happened is I've started to value my portfolio in Bitcoin, which may sound a stupid thing to do, but it, it changes the way I think. So I, 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 I now have added into uh, the crypto part of my portfolio um, an option to value in pounds, my base currency, or in Bitcoin. And I've looked back at what my Bitcoin holdings have been, what my crypto holdings, Bitcoin and Ethereum holdings have been in Bitcoin um, since the beginning of the year. That's really been a very interesting um, study because I, 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 I got stopped out fairly early on on my long futures positions and didn't chase them down. So my synthetic Bitcoin decreased drastically in, in late January and has never recovered. But my physical Bitcoin has grown all the time as I have been buying. And, and I was looking yesterday, I mean, I still have purchases at 56, 58,000 um, that I'm not at all uncomfortable with. Um, of course, it would be better if they were at 29,000, but that's not how it works in real life. Um, and I have been buying every time I feel confident. Um, and when I say feel, it's a combination of my own modeling, other people's modeling, and my old gut, um, which sometimes is right and sometimes is wrong. It only has to be 51% right for me to make money. Um, and so I now look and think, how many Bitcoin equivalent do I hold? Just to define Bitcoin equivalent, Bitcoin equivalent for me is my Bitcoin on my ledger. It's my long futures positions on IG index. It's my option valuation on Deribit. It is my Ethereum priced as that's my physical Ethereum priced as though it's Bitcoin. And it's also my, my ASICs, which I price according to an ASICs pricing model, which includes as a major input the price of Bitcoin. So if I add all that together, um, I, I'm now about 51, 52, 53, depending upon the day, Bitcoin. And that's been quite stable for, that's been quite stable for the last, um, last few weeks. Um, I, I haven't, I, I went up at about 42,000. I think I bought an extra couple of Bitcoin on futures. Um, and that's where I'm, that's where I, I'm stuck at. Um, I think it's worth noting that the reason I buy futures is because I don't have enough cash to buy physical. And also because of the strange way the UK tax structure works, um, I'm able to 
take to have profits in futures that are non-taxable, whereas um, in in physical Bitcoin, they're all CGT taxable. And I saw a tweet thread the other day that you put out. You were looking for help from uh, whether it was like a legal standpoint or a financial advisory standpoint. Um, do, do you know? Do you know the one I'm trying to yes, reference? Yes, I do. Absolutely. Yeah, okay. Yep. Should we go through that because that's Ooh. obviously something that you've been doing a deep dive into and finding a lot of dead ends when you're trying yes. to. Yes, I mean, I, I it is very very hard for young men who are convinced of Bitcoin who are working for um, a conventional IFA uh, or wealth manager that is regulated by the FCA in the UK to say anything about Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did not appreciate how difficult it is for them. And basically, if you are a substantial Bitcoin holder, so somebody's got 10 or, or more coin and an investment portfolio, and you are looking for somebody to advise you on things like retirement and transgenerational wealth transfer and tax and so on, you're a bit stuck. Um, because you either split your portfolio artificially in two and don't tell your IFA about your Bitcoin, or you um, have an IFA who says, we can't help you. And there is no point in me splitting my portfolio in half conceptually, because a lot of what I hold in my portfolio, I hold you know, very low risk assets because I am putting all my risk basket into Bitcoin. Um, so I have you know, one and a half million quid of, of a low risk hedge fund that I simply wouldn't be holding um, if I didn't have the big Bitcoin exposure. So I'm stuck. I mean, I'm, I'm, I still come back to having to do it on my own. Um, and that's not ideal. So basically, I try and keep my portfolio as, as holistic, you know, one entity and think of it in those terms. So when gold is performing or when the dollar's moving, or when commodities are moving, or when equities are moving, or when Bitcoin is moving, I try and think of it as, as one entity. And I can't do that if I've only got half of it with my IFA. The point of having an IFA has sort of disappeared completely. Um, on Ethereum, which you mentioned, um, so just summarize, my, my central thesis, buy and hold uh, Bitcoin and use technologies such as mining and options to try and increase the rate of acquisition of Bitcoin. That is still central thesis. I'm up at the 50 mark, which was my target. I don't know if I will go higher. It depends how sucked in I get in the next few days. Um, <laughs> and then I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm all quite honest about this. I get sucked in like everybody else. I'm no different. I'm just a player like everybody else. We just, you know, we all suffer from the same fears and hopes. And But when you look at it and think, it's 50 this morning. Um, mm-hmm. It's going to go to 100. You know, I can't double, I'm never going to double the value of my gold. I'm certainly not going to double the value of my equities. Um, I've got 20,000 of cash swilling around the system. Why wouldn't I make it 40? I mean, those are the sort of stupid head talk that goes on. Um, so Ethereum. Um, I, I've grown to realize that Bitcoin is an asset. Um, and it's an asset that everybody should have exposure to. And the only question in my head about my Bitcoin exposure is how big a percentage of the portfolio should it be? 
And that's a function of how far you are down the rabbit hole, how much you believe in the thesis, how much risk you're willing to take, who you are reporting to, whether it's your wife, whether it's your children, you, whether you're just on your own. These are all different things that affect you and, and how you would feel if you lost half your portfolio. Um, Ethereum's different. I bought Ethereum as a diversifying element to my Bitcoin purchase back last September. I didn't really understand it. It was just the second biggest um, uh, crypto. I also bought XRP a bit later, which I then sold at a massive loss, which made me realize, okay, life is not quite what I thought it was. And I've been thinking about my Ethereum. Um, I was you know, very encouraged by Raoul Pal and others who were very pro-Ethereum. And I'm hearing a lot of pro-Ethereum narrative out of my friends and colleagues who are in the professional investment business. I've become less convinced. Um, and I can't wholly pin down why, but I think it's this. Bitcoin is a new asset class. It's like technology stocks or commodities or uh, precious metals or you know, it's it, or emerging markets it's 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 an entity of its own um so if we think of bitcoin as being technology stocks in reality ethereum is like apple it's one of the technology stocks and it might be the most successful and it might be a great investment but equally it might not um, you know, who remembers Asta Vista, Alta Vista? Who, who remembers um, Netscape? You know, the winner is always remembered. And if you back the winner, you do very well. I don't have the skill, time, or enthusiasm to research Ethereum to the extent to be satisfied it's necessarily going to be the winner. And therefore, I have to a degree lost confidence. So I am scaling out from my Ethereum position slowly. I had 150 ETH, I now have 130. And I'm going to move that down through time, hopefully at intelligent points on the uh, Bitcoin ETH um, ratio, uh, with an expectation that I probably won't hold any ETH by the end of next year. So it's been a long answer to your questions, but I hope it's a comprehensive one. No, it's very good. Yeah, it's very good. And um... I completely agree with uh, with every, everything you just said. Uh, you know, good luck scaling down that position. Um, the, obviously, the gas fees are something you know, everybody needs to take into consideration when they're trying to um, get out of their ETH holdings. Um, I've I've been there before, back in two thousand seventeen. Uh, nowhere near to your um, size. <laughs> Uh, but um, yeah, scaled all of that back and straight back into Bitcoin and Bitcoin only, because at the end of the day, like you said, it, it is an asset and uh, it is sound money. Uh, that's the um, that's the basis of the the whole investment thesis. Uh, I want to. Yes, I mean, I, I, can I just say? Yep. One of the things that comes out in crypto Twitter is there is a lot of um, a lot of discussion about why you invest in Bitcoin, sort of almost the belief thesis in, in Bitcoin. And a lot of it makes a lot of sense, but it's written by people who I don't feel have a lot of experience in investing. Um, and by that, I mean, I could, I could have made and did strong theses 
1997 that equities were overvalued. And they were, but they stayed overvalued until 2007. So having a fundamental understanding of value and the reasons why things are gonna go up is, is only part of the story. And yes, there are fundamental reasons why Bitcoin is, is, is a great thing. It's, it's, it's libertarian, it's hard money, it's, it's Austrian. You know, these are all true and, and you know, uh, I, I have no problem with it. But there is the timing issue. And to me, the interesting question is how quickly is the rest of the world going to wake up and realize this? And what happens on crypto Twitter is they are, people are very arrogant. Um, they've got it and they can't understand why the other idiots, unquote, haven't. That's not, that's not how investment works. Um, if you are peddling an investment thesis, and, and I know this because I peddled the idea of investing overseas to US pension funds in the 1980s and 90s, that was a hard sell. You know, why would you go overseas when you didn't know which was further north, Hong Kong or, or Singapore? Right. When, when you could see everything there was to see in the world in the contiguous 50 states, why would you go overseas? Um, why would you take the risk of the, you know, the mighty dollar? There were all sorts of reasons why, you know, why I, I had to get a, a thesis across. And we are in that early nascent stage here with Bitcoin. I'm not sure we serve anybody by being arrogant about it. I think we have to be gentler uh, and more considerate. It took me, well, I heard of Bitcoin in the, I would guess, 2016, 2013, possibly. I didn't do anything with it until 2020. Um, and I'm not stupid. I'm, I'm fairly typical, I think. Somebody said, I think it's probably Antonov said, you have to have three dips at Bitcoin before you actually buy it. And, and there is some, some truth in that. I think we have to be very gentle with the people we're trying to red pill um, and not be too theoretically strident. I think theoretical stridency on hard money or whatever, these things don't necessarily work. What I'm doing with the institutions that I'm talking to is two stories. Uh, I wouldn't put it quite like this. Uh, but FOMO and risk diversification. Um, you know, you've got a lot of equities. Things might go wrong. And by the way, Bitcoin's gone up 200% annualized. That's my story. I mean, I, I dress it up. I, I give them an hour or two hours of my time. I listen to their, their problems. But that's the story. It, it's not about Austrian economics or hard money. It's, it's, it's two things. Equities are very expensive in value terms. And Bitcoin's going up. Um, mm -hmm. You know, sign here. Um, <laughs> and, 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 and that really, but I mean, I, we laugh, but it is, it is really the story. It is. I, 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 I don't get into the complicated stuff because they don't have the time or the interest. They're not economists. They're not geeks. They're not interested in security or OPSEC. Or, you know, it just isn't, isn't what turns them on. What turns them on is the thought that if they put 2% of their portfolio into Bitcoin, the chances are it's going to reduce their, their volatility to an extent and it's going to have huge upside potential. Um, and, and that really is, is, is the sale. Um, on the subject of that, I have to mention something that is bang, brand new off the press um, that I only really worked out this weekend. 
I've been talking to, oh, a dozen, 15 big institutional buyers, potential buyers of Bitcoin. Um, and these are people like big wealth funds uh, in, in, in um, Holland in particular, but also uh, people like um, the, the larger wealth managers in London, but also then on some big pension funds and some pension fund organizations, both in the States and outside, and a couple of sovereigns, sovereign funds. They're buying Bitcoin, but they aren't doing this as we thought they were doing it. Um, and that's why we haven't seen it. They're not, it seems, uh, and, and two or three people confirmed this. They're not going through their existing custodians. I, mean, I don't know if you know how much the system works, but basically if you're a big pension fund, you don't hold your assets uh, with, um, in, in, in your own shop. You, you give them to an external custodian, a big bank, a big specialist custodian. But those custodians aren't necessarily comfortable with Bitcoin. So what's happening is that in Holland, for example, um, funds are going to an experienced, a really experienced solicitor's firm and working with uh, simple multi-signature uh, hard wallets and depositing the simple multi-signature hard wallets in the safe of the solicitor to the fund. And it never appears in the custodial report. Uh, it just is added to the valuation at the end of each quarter by the in-house staff. So that's why I, I thought we'd be seeing the custodians talking about Bitcoin, Bitcoin holdings, and they're not, but the big boys are buying. And that, that to me is, was, a, was a huge light going on moment. Very interesting. Um, so they're working around the system to get their modest in percentage terms, Bitcoin exposure, which to us is vast sums of money. That is very interesting. And how do these people find you or do you find them? What's, what's, uh, did, did, have people kind of been, is your phone ringing for your advice from these, from yeah, these institutions? I mean, I'm an old fart. I mean, I was, I was here talking to these people or their predecessors in the, the, the 80s and 90s. Mm -hmm. um, it doesn't take long for the story on LinkedIn or somewhere that Bruce is into crypto. Oh, Bruce is still doing work. Oh, that's interesting. Give him a call. You know, are you really into crypto? You know, come on. Um, and and it's, it's, it's chatting. No, I'm, I'm not calling people. Um, people are contacting me because they've heard I, I'm involved in crypto and I'm enjoying talking about crypto. And let me be clear, I think it's very important to say this. I don't charge for my services. Um, this is, this, I have no product to sell. I have no newsletter. I have no service here. Um, I'm just talking to people because it's interesting. And a lot of the people who are the thinkers within these funds come from a pretty academic background. They're often consulting actuaries, they, they often come out of finance departments of the American universities, Berkeley or somewhere. Um, these are people who write in magazines like Financial Analyst Journal, none of us would ever read. Um, you know, math, it, the sort of paper that descends into mathematics on the third line and has no executive <laughs> summary. Um, and, and 
they're capable of doing their own research. You know, they have a research department. Mm -hmm. What I'm doing is, is giving them the idea that they then go away and do their own work. And then when they've done their own work and decided how to do it, they come to me and say, okay, so how do we do it? Um, you know, we've talked to Fidelity or whatever. Uh, our, broking, our brokers can't do it for us. And I will then very simply suggest a, a route in. So I might say, depending upon the type of people, there, I'll give you one example. Um, senior trading desk, a, a big, big fund in, in uh, Switzerland. Uh, I put them in touch with the Kraken uh, OTC desk. Um, and then there was discussion, and they bought. Um, they're used to OTC trading. Uh, OTC, OTC has <laughs> moved on to WhatsApp. It's quite fascinating. And the great advantage of trading on WhatsApp is that you have an immediate record of what you're doing. There's no ambiguity of what you've said. You send two tweets to confirm every transaction. It's a, it's a great medium. Kraken are very good at it. Um, I love it. Um, and then, you know, they've suddenly got uh, a lot of coin on Kraken um, pseudonymously. And they want to do want to know what to do with it, and it's a quite scary process to take coin, you know, lot of coin off Kraken onto your hard wallet, and then put your hard wallet in a in a jiffy bag and send a courier around to the solicitor, which really is what they do. Um, and initially, they they do single sig because it's often you know two or three people who've worked together for years and they trust each other. A few weeks later, they think this is this is a bad idea, and they. They get the Jiffy bag back and they make it multi-sig and they send two Jiffy bags to two different directions and, and someone else holds the third key. And this is all, you know, these are 10 minute chats where they bring me up and say, look, we thought about this. You mentioned multi-sig. What does it mean? How does it work? And it's that type of stuff that I do. And I just enjoy it. I mean, I'm probably spending a couple of hours a day playing around with this, about an hour playing around with Twitter and then living, living my life. That's great. I mean, what a way to, to give back to the community. I mean, this is... Well, I uh, think so. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm sitting on a 40% profit on my portfolio this year, as of this morning. Uh, that's in 10 months. You know, I, 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 I owe something to people. Yeah. And how close are you to um, what's going on with, like, the, the, the narrative around central bank digital currencies uh, and the Bank of England? No, not at all. I'm not an economist. Uh, and I think it's very important for people to realise what people are. I was a, I mean, my degree was in natural sciences. I was a chemist, a uh, theoretical chemist. Um, I'm very interested in time series analysis. I nearly got involved with Alan Harding and Lewick uh, back in the day. So I could have, you know, I, there is a, a route in which I could have become a quantitative trader. Uh, I didn't. I liked the people interaction. I liked dealing with pension funds. Um, and now, you know, years later, I'm still, if you really ask me, if you put me in a room with Lynn Alden and ask me to discuss money supply, I'd look like a complete idiot. I mean, I'd look far worse even than, than Peter McCormack. I mean, I, I really am the dumbest guy in the room. Um, so. The only sense in which I look at central bank digital currencies is to ask the question, what the governments, what are governments trying to do? And that's, I suppose, where my libertarian and the systems bust type beliefs come out. Um, I've been saying since 2004, uh, sorry, since 1984, 
that we are living on borrowed time. The base system of uh, open market assets that we understand is, is essentially flawed um, and that there will be a reckoning. Um, and so much more so in, in 2021 than in, 2000, than in 1984. Um, so in that sense, when I see central bankers saying crypto is dangerous, I see regulators saying crypto is dangerous, I understand where they're coming from. They don't want it to be shown the emperor has relatively few clothes. Um, but that's about as far as my knowledge goes. I'm not going to pretend to have any skill on that. I don't trust the Chinese central bank. Uh, I don't actually trust many central bankers. I've, I've before now traded against them in foreign exchange. So I sort of know how ruthless they can be and how single-minded. Um, but when I talk to people, I mean, I, my only friends, my only contacts, serious contacts are in the UK. There's a lack of understanding in entities like HMRC, sorry, that's our tax office, and like the uh, IRS and states, um, and Bank of England and Financial Conduct Authority, our principal regulator. There's a lack of understanding about you know, Bitcoin, let alone about how to set up their own digital currency. At this stage, it's, it's waffle. It's not, I think, it's not planning. If it's being seriously planned, I'm not party to it and I have no contacts in that, but it's being kept very secret. Hmm. Ominous year that you should uh, have that aha moment, 1984. Do you remember what it was when you were? Uh... Yeah, equity valuations. I mean, I started right. off, I mean, I really was an equity man. You know, if you go back to the early 80s, we didn't have gold bugs, we had equity bugs. Right. There were people who believed the equity market was going to go up in a straight line forever. And that all came to a sharp end in 1987, when the Dow dropped 500 points, which was really horrifying. Yeah, on, on a Monday morning. Um, I, no one held gold. Um, gold, but gold was sort of an unheard of thing. And of course, Bitcoin hadn't been dreamt of. So I started off believing in equities. And then three, four years into my career, I started to have doubts when I looked at the, the multiples and started to do some basic accounting on some of the big companies like BP, Shell, Unilever in the UK and started to ask questions. Um, and realized that, you know, in all cases of those three, you were basically taking a bet on the crude oil price. And then it started to, you know, I started to think, well, oil cannot stay at this, these levels uh, forever. And um, yeah, I, that was probably my, my light bulb moment. And here we are today. My goodness, yep. all these years later. And mm. that thesis from 1984 still stands. The emperor is wearing no clothes. And thank goodness Bitcoin has come along and we can start diversifying away from all of those rigged markets. I, I just see them as rigged markets now. There's no other way that I can see them other than being rigged. Yeah, I mean, supported, supported, let's be kind. Let's try and, <laughs> let's, let's, let's try and avoid the, 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 the negative rhetoric if we possibly can. I, I, I mean, I'm joking about avoiding negative rhetoric, but I do also mean it. I think it, it's, it's dangerous. It tends to not serve the community. And I, I have, I mean, I, th I think I mentioned I have a, a, a very um, low risk hedge fund that I hold. I, I talk to that manager certainly every week and, and we look at interesting ideas because he does things that I couldn't do easily so he's able to go short U.S. equities and short um, U.S. equity individual names 
And um, I suggest, I mean, I just throw this out. I suggested to him that one of the things that Bitcoin is doing is international remittances. I don't know if you've looked at the remittance business, but in short, remittances, at least the remittances I'm talking about, are when overseas workers, say from the Philippines or from Pakistan or from you know, any developing country, go and work abroad and return money to uh, their home country for their family or for them to build houses or whatever. And that remittance market is huge. And it's very, con very consistent because people are earning money each month and they're sending money back home each month. At the present moment, it costs a lot of money to send money back to the Philippines or back to Vietnam or whatever. And the person who takes the money by and large is a firm called Western Union. Um, Bitcoin solves this. So I suggested that perhaps the time has come to take a short position in Western Union, because I don't think their business model is sustainable in the advent of Jack Mallers and Lightning. It's just, to me, obvious. That's the type of thing that I do. Try and think down the line. Who is vulnerable to, um, to Bitcoin? And, and one of those is the remittance business. What Jack Mallers has done is completely crazy. I mean, to, to have driven the, the cost of remittance down to zero, uh, the, the cost of foreign exchange down to zero. Yep. It, it's mad. Like that, the whole foreign exchange market. Yes. I mean, you know, I, I just think, I think that that raises some very interesting structural questions. Another, another short that I'm, I'm talking about, and please, these are, this is not investment advice. It doesn't reflect what I'm doing in my portfolio. Um, but it's things I talk to my hedge fund manager about and to other people about going short arc. Mm -hmm. And when you've noticed that um, Michael Burry has gone short arc, arc investments, Cathy Wood, mm -hmm. um, you know, very interesting. Um, I, I'm not necessarily sure. I mean, the, the problem with somebody like Cathy is I broadly agree with everything she's doing, but because of the her tremendous success as a, as a marketer uh the the price of her stock has risen to the point where it's unsustainable and going short it is quite an interesting prospect um you could say the same thing about tesla you know, there are these opportunities way outside the bitcoin space that people might consider but they're pretty exotic um what it, about berkshire been, Oh, don't bet against Warren. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are some things that you just don't do. I mean, you know, betting against Bitcoin's a bit dumb. Betting against Warren's probably a bit dumb. I mean, it's just, just if something's moving, you know, betting against the trend is always hard. Um, it requires huge courage. And that's why buying from 58 down to 29 was hard. Um, I mean, I actually bought at 29.350 or something. Um, not much, I have to say. Um, but I would have bought at 28.350 and I'd have bought at 27.350. Again, not much. Um, but I was calling the bottom. I just wasn't quite sure where it was. Um, just the same as at the moment. You know, looking at price action over the last few days, what we've got is very interesting. It's a, it's a natural rise that keeps being interrupted by pesky bears. Um, and they're sometimes successful uh, and they're sometimes not. Um, I mean, successful is a delay of four hours, eight hours, 12 hours in the rise.
but the rise is inexorable. And there's just been an incident in the last 15 minutes. Uh, there's been a push to move it back to 50, which has been violently, uh, violently rejected. Um, and we're still on the upward run. We're at, what, 50, 350, uh, or rising uh, nicely in the channel that was first established back midday Saturday. You know, these are very interesting. Betting against these sort of trends is dangerous and people, are, the shorts are going to lose money over the next few days, that I'm sure. I mean, very large amounts. Yes, and this is something I want to get across to the plebs about trading and you're probably the perfect person to kind of uh, bounce ideas around of this or ask you to try and explain the, the pitfalls uh, to the plebs that are just out there trying to stack like you know you you want your bitcoin stack to go in one direction up all the time now people are definitely getting themselves into a lot of trouble uh on uh, exchanges with uh, leverage or margin trading mm -hmm. whatever you want to call it so should we um i mean a little message from bruce perhaps for yeah, for those I mean, people so, so i get worried about the extent of my gearing Okay, um, but if I look at my portfolio as a whole, I have reloaded for a moment, so I can actually tell you in real time. For me, gearing is not going 10x or 20x or 100x or on Femex or Deribit. That That is horrifyingly difficult to do. There are people who are good at it, but they tend to have you know, staff to help them, and they tend to have a 24-hour vision. You know, I go to sleep at night. Um, so I get anxious about gearing, but my gearing is, is incredibly modest. Um, so I've, I've got a portfolio spitting distance of four million this morning pounds. I've got borrowings of about 500,000 and I've got some additional gearing because I'm using futures. Uh, but my total, so my total short is 760,000 this morning. So, so I have borrowings of 760,000 against a, um, a portfolio of uh, a Bitcoin and ETH of 1.8 million. So I am, can't do the math in my head, but I'm about 1.3, 1.4, 1 1.5 geared at the present moment. And that I'm anxious about. That's mm -hmm. a function of me having 25 years of running positions, not mainly of my own money, many of other people's money, and knowing how vicious it can be. I've got to think what happens if Bitcoin suddenly uh, you know, goes off the edge of the cliff, drops down to 25,000, which I, I, I have to be ready for. I don't expect it, but I have to be ready for it. How would I fund the margin call? So the message is, if you are, if you are not somebody with trading experience, and this is not investment advice, it's just standard risk management, buy Bitcoin regularly in small amounts and don't look at the screen. That's message one. Amen. Message two, message two for those people who want to do something a bit more interesting is still adopt message one, but take a little bit of the money you would be putting in on a regular basis and have a bit of fun. And the have a bit of fun can either be trying to accelerate um, the rate at which you take on Bitcoin when you think the market's going up and decelerate it when you think it's going down, buying the dip. You know, there are all sorts of things you can do. It's not easy, 
chances are you'll end up flat. So you probably won't lose anything, but you might. You probably won't make anything either. The next step up for people who actually have quite big portfolios, I wouldn't try and do that. I mean, I wouldn't try and do what I'm doing, which is aggressively trying to add the, the, the rate of Bitcoin acquisition. I go to a, an option position. I go to Deribit, who I like, and I put a small amount of money in something like a 160 December call. So that's 160,000, a call on Bitcoin, 160,000 in December. If plan B is right, and we're at 100,000 or 120,000 in December, you will do 4x, 5x, 6x on that initial investment. But for an ordinary pleb, how much would I put in? Golly, $500, $1,000, absolute maximum. And there's every chance you'll lose that. But so what? Because it was the fun money. So... You know, the basic message is, unless you're willing to smile at a loss of two or $3,000, don't try and be clever. Just put in a weekly, monthly standing order or whatever, however it's done. Um, that's what Swan Bitcoin do so well. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not paid by Swan or anything. Um, you know, they're not my sponsor. Uh, I don't have a sponsor. But I like the idea of dollar cost averaging. Put a small amount in every week and don't think about it. Hundred percent. That's that's the the message I always just want to get across to uh, as many plebs as possible. And in the UK now, Coinfloor, who sponsored the show, they yes. they've released their app, and they've made it very very easy. Now it's a very very quick sign up process. You can just start stacking away their auto buy, and over the next, I think three to six months, or even maybe nine months, the commission is going to just drip down to zero. So they're making it as easy as possible and as free as possible to buy Bitcoin. And it's just so great that these companies, uh, and, and that was triggered. I had Obi on the show, who's the CEO. That was triggered by what Jack's doing, Jack Mallers. Like, you know, well, this is a response. We, we've got to, you know, we've got to start cutting our commission. This is a race to the bottom. Jack's absolutely correct. I think the other piece of advice, while we're talking about advice for plebs, uh, I, I think there's a lot of obsessive, slightly mad, um, concern about operational security, about you know, keeping your name secret, your amount of Bitcoin you've got secret and everything like that. There's, there's, there's some stuff that I think is just a bit of fun and, and a function of the type of young men, it's usually men who are involved in this game with their particular belief systems. Also a suspicion that quite a lot of people are never going to declare their taxes, which is the other real reason why they're doing it. But for those of us who are going to declare the taxes and play a straight bat, um, I'm not worried about operational security in that sense, but I am worried about leaving large amounts of money on any exchange. Look, I wouldn't leave, I wouldn't leave money sitting in, in a, a good UK broker account. Um, so why would I leave it in Kraken in Denver? Is it? I'm not sure whether Wyoming, who I don't really know. Why on earth would I leave you know, a substantial sum of money? And you've got to ask yourself what a substantial sum of money is. But for me, you know, I get pretty pissed off if I lost 50,000 quid because an exchange folded. Um, yeah. Some people will get very pissed off if they lost 5,000 quid in an exchange folded. I, given it costs 50, 55 quid to go out onto Amazon and buy a Ledger S and take your coin off the exchange, and put it on Ledger S and, and you know, if you're really obsessive, send it to your solicitor. If you're not, hide it in your sock drawer. 
Um, actually, don't hide it in your sock drawer because that is somewhere that thieves will always look. That's a different story. But even if thieves looked in your sock drawer, um, sorry, I, I work with the Met a bit on some stuff, so I know a little bit about burglary. Um, <laughs> uh, we'll come back to that then. <laughs> here's the point. If somebody got hold of your hard wallet, so you know, you've downloaded now, you've bought your Ledger S, you've taken, taken the deep breath, you've downloaded uh, your keys from... Um, uh, uh, You've downloaded your Bitcoin out of the exchange. Your keys are on your wallet. Everything's secure. Um, what happens if you lose it? What happens if you leave it in the proverbial taxi? I suppose we should now say behind a bus shelter in Essex. Um, what happens if someone picks it up? And there's a lot of rubbish talked about on on um, on crypto Twitter about how a ledger is insecure. Um, I, I interface with people who are real scientists who look at technology and security. Um, doing photolithography to get data off a chip is, is tricky. The chip that Ledger uses is a very, very good one. I do not believe it's possible. It, sorry, that's not true. I wouldn't say that. I think it is commercially infeasible. I, it costs far, far too much, and you need access to far, far too serious laboratories for somebody to take a ledger and get the pin off it. If you can't get the pin off the ledger and you try the wrong pin two or three times, the thing bricks. Um, I am completely comfortable with having, what have I got in my ledger at the moment, 1.4 million. I'm completely comfortable with that. I, I don't think that if I, I'm not I'm going to carry the ledger around in the, back, in the backpack, but were someone to take it off me, I don't think it would gain them anything. So nonetheless, this is an aside, get it off the exchange, put it on a ledger, a trezor, a cold card, whatever you fancy. Um, I, the only one I can help you with if you want to DM me is, is I'll tell you how ledger works and, I, and I'm satisfied with it. Uh, but get it off the exchange. It's just not wise to leave it there. Sorry, that was my other other advice for for for, for, for newbies. Hundred percent, and it's something I try and always push as well. And uh, the show sponsor for the um, for the hardware wallet wise is um, Bitbox O two, which yep. is a Bitcoin only wallet. Yep. <clears throat> By Shift yeah, I mean, Crypto. I've, I've, yeah. I've, the reason I don't use that one is because I've got some ETH, um, so I have ETH and Bitcoin on my on my ledger. But if you're a Bitcoin only, Bitbox O two is great. Yeah, well, I want to come back then to, again, this, you always bring up these little, you, you dangle a carrot. Yeah, like I do some work with the Met sort of thing. You're like, what? What the hell? So where is the most likely place, a burglar? If a burglar does break into the house, what are like the top three places you shouldn't be hiding your private keys? Sock drawer. Right. I mean, that's that, a, sort of a joke, but it's also very well known. So let me be clear, my, I thought about, I, I hold 670,000 pounds of gold. I initially thought I'd hold it at home and hide it. <laughs> Did um, you? <laughs> well, I didn't, I hadn't really thought about it, to be honest. Um, <laughs> I mean, actually what happened, I mean, sorry, if you want to know the real war story. So I bought this from a very, very good firm in Blackpool. Mm -hmm. um, the reason there's a firm in Blackpool is that the, 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 the gentleman who, who set it up, Lawrence, 
used to count coins on Blackpool Pier, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, as, a, as a child, as a 14, 15 year old. And every time he saw an interesting penny or whatever, he'd, he'd take it out and put one of his own in. And eventually had a, a, a bag full of coins and he and his dad went down to London and sold them for far more money than they ever dreamt because they were interesting coins. And that got him hooked on coins. And he now runs a gold firm called Chard's, Lawrence Chard. Uh, if you ever want to buy gold coins, I strongly recommend them. And again, I'm not being paid by Lawrence to do anything. Um, but if you want to laugh, you could, Lawrence and I do an interview together. It's on YouTube. It's, it's quite a joke about things. He sold me platinum during the interview, which is quite fun. Um, but basically, I bought this coin and it was sitting in Blackpool. And I suddenly thought, I've got to do something with it. You know, do I, and this was COVID had happened. So do I go up to Blackpool and get it? Anyway, the end result, it's now in Vaduz, in, in Liechtenstein, uh, in, in Liechtenstein Grand Duchy's vault, um, and very safe. But I did contemplate burying it in the garden or putting it in the house and thinking, thinking it all through. And let's be clear, it's not you know, 600,000 quid of, of silver and gold is only four small suitcases. It's not a lot of space. It is feasible to hide this sort of stuff. Um, so in that process, I talked to some friends at the Met and said, you know, what would you do? What wouldn't you do? And the, two, the first two things they said, don't put it beside your bed because burglars will, the first thing they will do is they will rifle drawers in whatever you have beside your bed because that's where people tend to put their most valuable things. Um, if they're looking for jewellery, if they're looking for, well, I don't know if a burglar would know what a ledger was, but you know, they go through it. Um, the second thing is he said, hide it in plain sight. So if you've got some, um, uh, if you've got a drone and you've got three or four um, uh, things that you use to plug into your computer, so USB sticks, shove it in the same drawer. You know. <laughs> the third thing was if you're going to put a piece of electronics, don't bury it in the ground because the chances are in two years time water will have seeped in and it won't work anymore. No. So it's these sort of things. Um, so basically the recommendation from my friends in the Met is hide in plain sight. If you're gonna have something at home, put it with other similar things in a place that doesn't look as though it's in So don't put a ledger along with the knives and forks in the drawer because it will stick up like a sore thumb. Put it with your computer toys, where there are plenty of other things that look like it, or stick it, I mean, another good possibility, very safe place to put it, there's a slight drawback, but a very safe place to put it would be to stick it into your television, because most modern televisions have a USB slot. Problem is that a different class of burger wants to nick the television. (laughs) (laughs) So it might not work. But no, I mean, my serious advice is, solicitors will always take a brown Diffie bag. Mm-hmm. Um, so the recommendation, the serious recommendation, what I do, is take um, your ledger. So I have five ledgers, all identical. Um, two of them are with solicitors. The ones with solicitors I've wrapped in cling film, put in a, a jiffy bag and sealed the jiffy bag with sealing wax and put my name on the front. And the solicitors don't know what the hell it could be anything. Yeah, and that's, that's good advice. Yeah, very good advice. All right. I want to ask you about another tweet that I saw you put out um, maybe three, four weeks ago. 
uh, about, uh, I think he did a lecture maybe at a university. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Can you give us um, the story? How, how did that come about? Uh, and it was, you, you were lecturing, I think, about Bitcoin. Well, about new asset classes, more accurately. You were trying um, to orange pill a few people. Let's put it that way. Yes, yeah, so, so, I mean it, it, this is how, a discussion. So there are there's a European group, there are a number of groups, but there is a European group uh, of actuaries, consulting actuaries, um, fund managers, uh, board members, uh, academics um, that look at unusual asset classes and their particular focus is the alternatives business. I don't, I mean, this is why when I say alts, I don't mean alts as in alt coins. I mean, alts in the professional world is alternative asset classes. So not the main market classes. So the main market classes are equities, bonds, um, yeah, basically equities and bonds. So it's, it's local equities, international equities, uh, bonds, government bonds, corporate bonds, those sort of things. So those are the things that foreign exchange, those are traded 24 seven, open exchanges, everyone knows about. Alts, alt investments are things like private debt, private equity, uh, gold, forestry, uh, wine, fast cars, you know, you name it, classic cars, probably not fast cars, classic cars. Mm -hmm. um, well, actually probably fast cars too, given <laughs> <laughs> crypto Twitter. Um, <laughs> I bought a new car. Um, I have to tell you this. Go I ahead. have my. I have a Peugeot one hundred and eight. <laughs> basically has a. Basically has a, um, uh, a a lawnmower engine in the front, and it does and a huge mileage. Did you did you switch out like uh, the, the the Maserati or something for so you could go no. ahead and stack or you just no uh... no 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 I've never had the Maserati. <laughs> um, for me, a car is a way of getting from A to B. This is again where I differ slightly from from Peter in Bedford. Um, you know, I'm just away from A to B, but but I I, I have to say when Bitcoin was at, at fifty five thousand, I thought. I actually could swap this. We, we, we had a, a, an old Volkswagen, so we swapped it for uh, a Peugeot 108 that is lime green. So there we go. <laughs> a classic pleb story. I love it. <laughs> yes. <clears throat> sorry, what were we meant to be talking about? The, the university. Oh, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry. So, um, yes. Yeah, so, so the discussion was about alternative asset classes. And in particular, there was, I don't know whether you've seen the story about lumber. Um, but lumber has behaved, lumber as in trees, has behaved very strangely because it, it basically, because people started to do a lot of DIY, there was suddenly a demand for, uh, for, for lumber in Europe and in the States. Mm -hmm. And it went crazily high and then it came back down again. And so we were talking about that. We were talking about um, some precious metals that are being used in mobile phones and in new mobile phone technologies, new battery technologies, junior miners. You know, these are the people who, who are early stage gold prospectors or oil prospectors. Um, and we were also talking about Bitcoin um, and, and Ethereum. Uh, and I, I chaired a round table um, with a number of very able people, none of whom were orange pilled. Um, and um, yeah, I, I, I was on the receiving end of five fairly negative onslaughts of criticism. Um, nice. <laughs> Well, it was fun because, you know, I've read all the classic um, or listened to all the classic YouTubers and, and material. So it's kind of 
kind of there. And of course, the, the points they made were all ones that we've all heard so many times. Classic heard Answers to so many times that you're able to deal with it. But the key point, and, and I keep coming back to this, this, is obviously going to be the theme of this, this talk, wasn't it? We can't be arrogant. We can't just say it's rubbish, da, 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 or you know, the Chinese do this regularly, da, 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 or, you know, um, you have to entertain. So the sort of thing I would do is to discuss exactly what it would mean if the Americans um, decided they were going to block all the off-ramps. So you weren't any longer able to sell um, your crypto into US dollars in the domestic US. That is a, a plausible, and it's vanishingly unlikely, but it is a plausible thing. And I discussed what would happen. You know, how other entities would, would come into being that took Bitcoin from American citizens and sold them in Hong Kong or in Johannesburg. You know, and I explained how it would work. And I said, look, you're naive if you think there aren't people who haven't got in their back drawer a business plan that they'd swing, swing into action very quickly to enable Americans who wanted to unload some Bitcoin to be able to do so freely. Um, and I said, you know, and Yellen and others aren't unaware that it's not as simple as they think. These are highly intelligent, highly paid people. They know that regulating uh, Bitcoin in that way, making Bitcoin essentially illegal or unusable for plebs in the States would be a catastrophe. I mean, first of all, it wouldn't work. Uh, look at prohibition. But secondly, even if it did work, um, there would be people who would do workarounds and make a lot of money out of it. And who would lose out? U.S. Treasury, because they would no longer get any possibility of getting a capital gains tax. It's a, it's a, it's a non... No, Yellen's best strategy is to continue to publish FUD if she doesn't want Bitcoin adoption to increase. It's not to try and stop it. You know, so if you want to stop smoking, you don't ban smoking. You put out lots of material that says how bad it is for you. Same as Bitcoin. With alcohol, they tried to ban it. And that produced prohibition. And they've been successful, by and large, in stopping smoking in the middle class and upper middle class across the US. Yeah, interesting point. So do you, do you feel that anybody come away from that, that, that university session, that roundtable, with a bit, bit, because again, I saw another one of your tweets where you think you've probably, like, uh, dispensed about a thousand orange pills about well about a thousand coin not a thousand pills it's only to right. 25 people right um, but some of those people have a lot of money a lot or, of money or, right. or influence a lot of money yeah it's, it's over a thousand now well over a thousand um there's been quite a lot of interest uh, i had a very interesting chat saturday evening mm -hmm. with some people um and looking at the price action this morning, it wouldn't surprise me if at least one of those people wasn't part of the price action this morning. My goodness. Um, Another dangled carrot. <laughs> but you see, what's interesting is that, I mean, if we, let's talk about that particular institution. I obviously mm -hmm. can't be specific. And one of the reasons I can't be specific is, is it's not these institutions are unnecessarily secretive, but they, they have a legal obligation to publish information about three to four to five months after things happen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I'd actually be breaching their confidentiality rules. But this particular institution has been talking about going into Bitcoin seriously. I spent my first talk to them in December. 
Um, and and there's, they're a big institution. And it's taken them up until the 30th of June um, review. They had a big review. The 30th of June review occurred on about the 12th of July. I think it was 12th of July. Um, and that was their, you know, the first two months, first two quarters of the year. They had their investment meeting. They decided that in principle, they were going to go ahead and do it at the right time. And they gave that discretion to their head of trading. Um, their head of trading's been thinking there is no career mileage in me buying Bitcoin in the 40s. There's certainly no career mileage in me buying Bitcoin in the 30s because the downside risks yeah, are career terminating and the upside gains are interesting, but not that interesting. He concluded, and I was arguing, that Bitcoin above 50 is a buy for them. So they'd done all the work, they had all the permissions, they knew how much money they had and it's a staggering amount of money okay um, yeah just go and do you know, do the research yourself go and look at large private firms private so look at large wealth offices in europe and look at the first 25 names i'm not saying they're there or not there but those 20 first 25 names will have a lot of money and i'm not saying how much it is but assume they bought off the story that half a percent or one percent or two percent of their portfolio would make sense and you get a kind of idea that we're dealing we're dealing over a thousand coins a lot mm -hmm. of thousand coins. Those guys could have decided that they're going to put it in in three hours this morning. Mm -hmm. So, you know, one of the things that I keep saying to people is it takes institutions a very long time to decide. But the moment they've decided, they have professional trading. You know, they have they have a trading desk that is real. And if they decide you know, fifty was our mark, uh, we'll go in at fifty, and you know, fifty-one is acceptable. They could have died all this This is what's really going to start moving the market because it's, th these these institutions have been lining themselves up, especially in the US with NIDIG, right? The, the work that NIDIG are doing. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's a wall of money sitting there. And it's just when these little decisions, well, they're not little, but uh, like that last final piece of the puzzle of that decision-making process, like you said, once that clicks into place, we're off to the races. See, what I actually think is happening is that a lot of those decisions have been made. Mm -hmm. And we're now waiting for when it's career advantageous to implement them. Because this is a career game. You know, these people have salaries. They're not, it's not their money. They get paid a salary. They have a nice job. You know, being the chief investment officer for, say, IKEA's family funds, you know, that's, that's a nice job. You, I mean, I, I don't know the man, so I can say that. Uh, maybe a woman, um, they're not going to take a risk on this. So they're going to say to the head of trading, you know, we want to establish average price 52,000 or whatever. Um, if you can get in earlier, fine. Well, the guy's going to say, no, I'm not going to go in earlier because that's a risk. She said 52,000. He said 52,000. I'll make sure I get in at 51 or 50 uh, and I'll fill it. So I've done well. I can blame her if it goes to 30. You know, I has no career risk. And that's how you have to think of it, because I used to be like that. I mean, you know, when I was a junior in fund management, I used to think, how do I satisfy my boss? I didn't think, how am I going to better things for my client? Of course, I did at one level, but another level, self-preservation becomes important. It's very, very different being a private individual with a portfolio who could decide when to buy Bitcoin, because I don't have anybody to answer to except myself, basically. Um, and that's, that's very different. If I was sitting there as 
you know, the BP pension fund. Um, I wouldn't, if I, even if I had clearance to buy Bitcoin, I'd be thinking very carefully, you know, what has the consulting actuary said? When should we go in? And I'd be trying to do a bit better than consulting actuary's target, but not a lot better, because a lot better would imply I was taking trading risk. Mm -hmm. um, I think 50 is a point at which a lot of people are going to be focusing. Now, they may, they may set 55, they may look at the GAN lines or the 26th Fibonacci, and I don't know, I'm not a TA person really, but you know, these people often are. But my guess is there is a figure somewhere between now and 59 that a lot of people are going to press the button. A lot of people. And, and that's when Bitcoin melts your face. Yes. And, and if I'm right, and this is, please, this is not investment advice, this is intelligent speculation, but it's only speculation. If I'm right, we could see green candles, green daily candles that will be you know, newsworthy. Um, and if you're thinking, I'll get in at 55, if you're this morning saying, yeah, once it gets 55, I'm confident we're through the trouble, uh, and I'll put five thousand dollars in, five thousand pounds in. I think you might not see that. I think you might be at Tesco's, and while you're at Tesco's doing the weekly shopping, Bitcoin's gone from fifty-two to sixty-two, and that's your risk. I mean, it's not a risk; it's 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 a lost opportunity, but it is a lost opportunity. So, mm -hmm. you know, if you've got liquid cash at the present moment, I mean, you look at my tweets. I'm insanely bullish, short-term and medium-term and long-term. And I'm probably wrong, but who cares? But to come back to these, the, the, like the paradoxical nature of these huge um, institutions that are looking at these entry points, this is a game theoretical uh, aspect of Bitcoin again, because once we get to 60, once we get back to 70 and we start making um, new all time highs again, that's just going to keep bringing more and more. And th those people then that are coming in later, their entry point might be 75 or 80. Like you say, it's well, not like the plebs yes, that are see, trying what, to... Right. What I actually think is going to happen, it's sort of interesting. I think the people who've been thinking intelligently about Bitcoin since middle or late last year have probably got to the decision point now. I don't think many people started thinking about Bitcoin in January or February because, because of the price action. And then they certainly didn't by the time we saw the dip. So I think now the, the second tier of institutional adopters, I don't mean second tier in size, but second tier in time, will probably start looking about now. And this is where we've got to face it. It could take them six months to make the decision, by which time Bitcoin may be at 150, but it doesn't, that won't affect their decision to go in. So don't expect new, I, I'm not expecting people who I haven't talked to, to invest in the next few months. Because they won't. I'm sorry, I, I, I didn't mean I, didn't, I have to talk to everybody. But, but the type of people who I will be talking to in, in the next few weeks are more than likely six months away from investing because they've just started to talk to Bruce or Bruce's equivalent or you know, Nidic or whoever it is. Because there is this gap between, yes, I think we're interested, to yes, we're going to do it, to yes, we've got to sign off from the actual, yes, we've been to the investment committee, and now it's only a career risk decision. And that's three months, six months, nine months, depends on the institution. Institutional money doesn't move. It's not as hot as hedge funds, and it's nothing like as hot as plebs. <laughs> There's nothing hotter than a, than a pleb with FOMO.
Yeah. My goodness. Yeah. And, 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 and a player with FOMO who gets a, a, you know, a September bonus of yep. £10,000 because they've, you know, they've had a good sales year, suddenly that becomes... And there are an awful lot of people who will... I mean, I think there are an awful lot of people who are going to get paychecks in September who are going to think, I'm going to put some, all, depending upon what my base salary is, into Bitcoin. And we'll see that. And, and that's going to be very... I mean, that's probably the most exciting thing because, it, A, it means new people are coming in. And B, it's really good, high-quality money. I, I have to say something about quality of money. Mm -hmm. If you're an institutional investor, think of the... This is, again, a game theoretical question. So I'm an institutional investor. I put 2%. I'm mandated to put 2% into Bitcoin. I think, shit, business risk, this thing could go to the moon. I better put the full 2%. In. At which point, I no longer have any spare cash. Fine. Bitcoin then doubles in the next six weeks. Not at all unrealistic. I've now not got 2%, but I've got 3 and a bit percent, 3.8%, whatever the figure is, in, the, in Bitcoin. I then have a problem. I'm 1.8% over my mandated amount, and I'm coming to a month end. I have two choices. Argue to increase, to keep, to increase the limit, I stay at 3.8, career risk, or rebalance, I sell 1.8, no career risk, it's what I'm meant to do, what am I going to do? Probably somewhere in the middle. But there will be sales at the end of September. There will be sales at the end of December. These are quarterly events. Um, some of the big boys will trim back just because that's the process. Totally agree. So we have to, we, so we, we have to expect that. But I suspect those pullbacks will be unnoticeable because there'll be far more others firming it. But we might see trouble at the end of September because I don't see the wall of money quite ready for the end of September. Uh, I think the money will go in now and during September. By the end of September, some of the people who went in in, in January might decide, the people who went in at 20,000 or 15,000 might well decide at, at the end of September to take a, take a haircut. I can see that happening. I see yeah. some plebs who are doing that as well. Mm -hmm. Anything you want to talk about? Compass mining-wise, because I know you were... Uh... Yeah, but just, just, but just before we go on to Compass, can I talk about selling Bitcoin? Please do. Yeah. What, is, what is my advice to a pleb about when should they sell their Bitcoin? Because mm -hmm. this is, to me, very important. Um, I think the first thing is, sometimes you get a life opportunity. You see a house that doesn't come on the market very often. Uh, you have a daughter who needs to buy a house and can't make the mortgage. It, something happens that causes you to think this is a time urgent decision. And I know people who say, oh, but I've got a stack, I've got a stack, I've got a stack. And, and that is wrong. If you have a time urgent decision like that, life's too short, go ahead and sell some Bitcoin and don't feel guilty about it and don't regret it. Okay, that's point one. Point two, if you don't have a need, if you don't have a time critical need, then hold off a few months because this thing's going to go up almost certainly. No, not investment advice, but it's really probabilistic. Thirdly, if you've got the stomach for it, think about not selling Bitcoin, but gearing, i.e. borrow fiat, borrow pounds, borrow dollars against your Bitcoin holding. And there are various people who can help you do that. You've got to think about the risks. They're not zero, but it might be a better decision than selling. End of story. Do I expect to sell Bitcoin? No. Ever? Probably not. Why? Because I'm going to be borrowing against it when I need it in the future. 
Yeah. And those services are just going to get better and better. I mean, it's... Well, and they're getting different. I mean, I've, I've, I'm at the present moment renegotiating my borrowing, and someone's come to me and said they would be very interested in, in lending me 4%, lending me at 4%. Um, that's quite a bit below the services we all know about. Don't assume that the ones that are easily accessible on the internet are the only people out there who are willing to lend. Do your own research. Mm, interesting. Yeah, and more and more of these firms are going to start uh, coming out of the woodwork for sure. And we'll get to a well, point. But, but where... actually, what the, what they are are firms that are already lending against fine art or wine mm -hmm. or equities who've decided they better start lending against Bitcoin, but they're not yet publishing that they're doing. So it's very interesting. It is. It is very so, very interesting. Know, if, if 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 I were um, one of the big Bitcoin lenders, you know, people who would lend fiat against Bitcoin, I worry that the Lombard lenders, the people who lend against gold and against fine art and against classic cars, are going to eat their lunch. That's their risk. Interesting. It is. It is. And competition is good. Yep. It's, for, yep. it's great for the plebs, great for people like us that are going to be considering using these services. Um, and one, one last thing to touch on uh, about the selling. Uh, I had Fry Haas on uh, talking about this, um, talking about auto selling. So we all know about auto buying or dollar cost averaging, but to um, dollar cost sell as well. Uh, for, you know, there could be a million reasons, but there's a lot of plebs out there that are trying to free themselves from their fiat jobs and uh, that this could be uh, a good way for them to start speeding up that process. If we get this ramp up, these quick, Greenwick candles, um, it might be an option to have something set up that you can start auto selling small amounts. Once you start getting to these higher um, valuations, that's going to help you release yourself from your, your fiat day to day. Yeah, uh, I, I, and, and I would do that by thinking how many Bitcoin do I want to own? Right. You know, and, and I would say, okay, if I want to own a Bitcoin, <clears throat> and I've currently got 1.3, 1.4, then I'm willing to take that 0.3 or 0.4 and auto sell it. But ask yourself, how many Bitcoin do I want to own? And set that as your floor. And if you've got 1.1 and you want 1.1, don't sell, if you can mm -hmm. possibly avoid it. Just keep stacking. Yeah. All right, Bruce. Mining. Um, yeah, mining, compass mining. How's it, how's it all going for you? 2.014 mine to date as of this morning. Nice. And how long have you had this running with them? Since March. Right. Um, so I'm very happy. It's doing everything that I want it to. Um, I like the fact that Slush Pool, my pool keeps telling me that they've won another, uh, another block. And I like the fact that every three or four days, my ledger gets an additional bit of Bitcoin added to it. It couldn't be simpler. Um, I just have to remember every a month I've got to spend $3,000 on my compass bill, which I put on my American Express um, and earn my 3% on my American Express and then have to think, where the hell I pay my American Express bill? That's just, so I defer <laughs> everything. I defer everything a further month by going through Amex. So I'm terrible. Just, just, just explain, just explain to, uh, to people then uh, how you found compass and, uh, and what, what, what was the uh, like the setup process? How does it work? 
Okay, well, actually, a colleague of mine who helps me with the portfolio, who's just, just a friend, did all the hard work. But essentially, all you do with Compass is Compass has um, ASICs, has the, the, the mining tools, the specialist computers, in racks all over the world. And from time to time, they come up for sale because somebody wants to sell their ASICs or they want to upgrade their ASICs or something happens. And Compass have a, um, a second-hand market and a primary market for new ASICs. And you can simply say, I want to buy a, an M32 or five M32s or 500 M32s or whatever they are. Um, and, uh, and they'll facilitate that for you. And they'll probably say today, we'll, we'll have them online December, January, depends a bit, the present moment. There's quite a pressure still because chips are still very hard to get hold of. So the lead time is there, but you could probably pick up T17s for uh, 3,000 bu uh, 3, bucks or less, and they probably be online tomorrow. Um, so basically you can buy um, older machines or new machines. They uh, set them up for you and you tell them who your pool is. And for various reasons, I chose slush pool. Uh, you link your miners to your pool and that's it. You, so you, you essentially give your hash power of your miners to slush pool. And when slush pool in aggregate mines a block, you get your percentage share and it goes to your ledger. And it's as simple as that. And each month you pay your electricity bill. Huh. Sounds like a bit of fun. It is. It's just very simple. So I've got, uh, what have I got? I've got 38 miners. I've got 27 old ones and uh, the rest are new ones. Um, I spent about £127,000 on them in total. They're now worth 88000 I guess. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm amortising them pretty hard uh, in accounting terms. And it's generated two Bitcoin. Um, I'm not unhappy. And the Bitcoin will keep on coming. Yep, the Bitcoin will keep on coming. I get a report every day as to how many of my miners are up, how many are down, how long they're down for. Uh, if they're down for an extended period, Compass give me um, a, a, another miner. You know, it, it all works. I'm about to upgrade the operating systems on all my miners to a, a new operating system, which is slightly more efficient, consumes more power. Um, so there's a little bit of te technical playing around, but it's it's... It's pretty boring. It just sits there. So to me, they're just another asset. They're, they're, they're like my options. They, they behave a bit differently from buying straight Bitcoin, but they're diversifying. In, in certain circumstances, they'll do very, very well. Mm -hmm. In certain circumstances, they do less well. I mean, they look sick as dogs at 30000 My mining experiment at $30,000 looked awful. Um, my mining this morning looks, yeah, okay. Uh, at 75,000, it's going to look as I'm a superhero. At 100,000, I should have bought more miners. That's <laughs> just how it is. Because <laughs> obviously, you... the, yeah, I mean, people perhaps don't realize this, but the, the, the value, the second-hand value of your miner is very tightly tied to Bitcoin in a very geared fashion. So mm -hmm. it's like holding uh, an option on Bitcoin. It, the, you know, the, mining, the price of a miner goes up faster than Bitcoin, typically. Interesting. Okay. Well, is there any other projects that uh, you are working on or yeah, want to get yeah. involved with? Yes. I mean, one of the things that friends in government have said is, why don't I 
um, try and put together a group of wealthy individuals who own Bitcoin in the UK who can act as a, a point of discussion, pressure to government, um, some feedback. So we're establishing or trying to establish a, uh, a 10 plus Bitcoin club uh, in the UK. Um, it's currently got about five members. Um, I'm hoping that's going to grow. Uh, and we'll try and meet together and, and talk to people from government and talk to, to tax people um, and try and be not a pressure group, but an ad advisory group on, on Bitcoin. Um, and we might benefit by having you know, together collective buying power if we're buying miners or if we want to buy hardware. Um, so that's one project. The other project I'm working on is I believe everybody should have a node, a full node. Um, to me, there's a problem with that, that it actually involves a bit of do-it-yourself and knowledge of computers at the present moment, which ordinary people like me don't have. So I'm working with some young people who have that knowledge to produce a node that sits in a, a single enclosure. You simply take a, a cable, plug it into the back of your uh, BT or Vodafone router, and it sets up and runs and gives you the capability of telling whether your Bitcoin is really yours, which of course, if you do with Ledger, you rely on Ledger, the Ledger Live software to tell you what uh, you actually own. Uh, I don't want that intermediation. So I can now go directly onto my up-to-date copy of the blockchain and see that my Bitcoin are really mine. And I think people should all, I think Bitcoiners should all have a node. So I'm hoping, well, well if, if Bitcoin was at 70,000, this project would be, working much more quickly at the present moment. We're sort of just not doing very much with it, but we, we hopefully will launch Node. It's gonna be called Node in the Box, like Jack in the Box, but different. Um, uh, and we'll hopefully launch that at sort of I don't know, 500 quid, $700, that sort of amount. And literally it'll come in, come in a box, you'll plug it in. It'll already have a pretty well up-to-date copy of the blockchain on it. It'll sit for half a day. And by that stage, it'll be fully, fully alive and you'll be able to do some things like lightning and um, check your own balances and a few other cool things. That is so a this brilliant is my project. That is an excellent project. So yeah, brilliant. I mean, it's so like, just to remind listeners, like, you know, Bruce is a boomer here. He's, he's talking the talk and walking the walk. And this isn't, this Thank isn't you. just a young man's game anymore. Uh, it's, it's everybody and uh, we're all in this together and, and pulling in the right direction and same direction, hopefully for greater Bitcoin adoption and greater Bitcoin use and, um, interaction with it. Can I give you one last war story? Please so, do. I love talking to people who are, who are elderly. Um, I've always enjoyed people in their 60s, 70s, 80s, even when I was a, a kid. Uh, my parents' generation, my father, was, my father was 50 when I was born, so it's quite interesting. So, yeah, I'm one of, one of those. So I have a lady who um, asked me to um, help her buy Bitcoin for her children. And mm -hmm. she had her, her, yeah, no, her grandchildren. She had five grandchildren, and she wanted to buy Bitcoin for all of them. And I knew she was modestly wealthy, and I thought, yeah, okay, so... She said, you know, Bitcoin for those. I, I, I want to buy, um, buy five Bitcoin for my five children, was what her text said. So I helped to buy one Bitcoin for each. And she came back to me the following morning and said, no, 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 I meant five for each. Oh, nice. <laughs> so we did that. But it just struck me that you can't, you, you know, and she's in her late 70s. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and she's got five ledgers, pink ones for the girls, green ones for the boys. Um, the coins are all on there and they've gone to the, the kids will see them and then their, their parents will put them in with a solicitor. You know, it, it's all doable. Um, and, and she's not somebody, I mean, she's somebody who's, who's wealthy. She's got some, some equity investment. She's got some gold and she decided she wanted to give them some Bitcoin. Cool. There we go. But Imagine just don't that <laughs> in yes. 20 years time. Well, Get exactly. In. But that's but that's what she's thinking. This is legacy. This is mm-hmm. this is. We've got to think long term. And if if you're wealthy enough to be able to do it, giving your children and grandchildren a, a bitcoin each is is a bit like my my. I I hardly knew my grandmother. She was ninety two when she died, and I was six. But she gave me a gold a gold sovereign before she died. Mm-hmm which wasn't worth anything like the amount, but it was a, a, a nice gesture. So now you think about giving a Bitcoin. We could start a, start a program. Give a Bitcoin to your grandchildren. <laughs> there we go. <clears throat> All right. Well, if you had one orange pill left to give, Bruce, who would you give it to and why? At the present moment, um, I'd like to have a really good sit-down conversation with Andrew Bailey at the Bank of England, who, who has said a lot of, quite negative things about Bitcoin. And, and you know, my, my gut feel is he's poorly advised rather than, um, I mean, people say he's stupid and arrogant and ignorant. Um, and it's easy on Twitter to be critical of people in public office. I know the pressures on what it's like to be, I've never been in public office, but I've advised senior people in public office directly. And I feel sorry for him. He's got an awful lot on his plate and Bitcoin is probably an irritant. So he goes along to a conference, is asked a question about Bitcoin. He snaps off an answer. And I can see that. I would probably do the same in his position. But I think getting him on one side for, for a decent conversation over a nice glass of wine um, and talking through why I'm doing what I'm doing, I think would be interesting. And so if anybody could facilitate that, it'd be great. Love I'll it. Pay. well bruce it's been great again as um excuse me as always to to catch up and have a chat and see where your head's at these days with uh with bitcoin and and how it's all progressing for you and and following your journey down the rabbit hole has been fascinating and and thanks for sharing everything that you share on twitter and uh and everything that you're doing and uh yeah it's just uh, a pleasure to to have got to know you and can I also say to people, I do enjoy, I, I get a few DMs, not, not, not many, enough to be able to handle directly. I'm very happy to communicate with people. I, I have everything ranging from very, very, quotes stupid questions, although there, of course, is no such thing as a stupid question. I'm very happy to answer questions that show people at the beginning of their, their, their walk to very sophisticated questions about, is it okay to buy a house with my bitcoin because i have this opportunity um and and somebody this morning just needed reassuring that it was okay to spend some bitcoin uh, because you know when you sit on the bit for twitter it looks as though it's not okay to sell bitcoin um so there we go okay thank you very much thanks for um i enjoyed it thank you take take care bye Hey guys, thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this edition of the One Spits and Podcast. And thank you to Bruce again for coming on. Guys, please go and uh, reach out if you haven't already, or at least follow and just follow 
what he's saying on Twitter. And if something sparks your interest, make sure you reach out. DM. We got a boomer here. He's been around. He knows what he's talking about when it comes to investing and financial markets. Uh, You're not always going to agree with absolutely everything he says, but use the knowledge that he is so eager to share. And the more prominent kind of feature of these interviews that we go through is that he's eager to learn as well. Uh, You know, and he's, he's only ever going to to learn more and more as he keeps falling down this rabbit hole and exploring all of these different side avenues such as nodes and mining and you know he's he's here to stay and you know i'm so pleased he's one of us so bruce thank you for joining the team and doing everything that you're doing to orange pill as many people as you can and helping out uh people with their grandkids or great grandkids like you know like you described before we sign off, please go and check out the show sponsors, CoinFloor in the UK, Relay across Europe, Swan Bitcoin in the US, all forward slash Bitten. And don't forget, take control. Use the Bitbox 02 Bitcoin-only hardware wallet from shiftcrypto.ch forward slash Bitten. See you on the next show.